have come our way. Uh, we, we are short a few. This was our first Sunday since we've begun the 1.30 service that our teens are going to go to the teen singing. That usually begins at 2.30, and of course they have to travel a bit of a way, so sometimes depending on where the teen singing is. So this will occur about once a month or so that they'll be gone. Of course, usually uh, Travis and Sherry uh, help take the teens to that, and sometimes then the Sorrells will be here, but with Travis uh, currently being in the hospital, the Brian and Corey offered to take the kids, and we appreciate that, but, uh, but th- they'll be gone this afternoon. So some Sundays our numbers will be down a little more than we're used to, but we're, we're thankful for the opportunity to be together. The real problem, of course, as some of you may have already noticed, is what do you do when the preacher's own family leaves and don't even come back to hear him uh, for the afternoon service? But if you were with our breakfast yesterday morning, we had made mention that uh, Hannah had gotten asked to sing at a funeral this afternoon. Uh, back in Dunlap, and so she had to leave and, and go be a part of that service, and so some of them were gone, but I got to thinking this morning, I thought, well, it's really bad when even the preacher's family won't hang around and, and listen to him again, uh, but we're glad to he- you're here and look forward to studying for just a, a few moments this afternoon, and we are continuing in our, our monthly series about words and one words, uh, one word in particular each, each month, and as we talked about the last couple of months, we've been looking at words that deal with relationships. Uh, we've talked about mothers, and we've talked about uh, different maybe people or types of people, and we're going to talk about a few others as we get through this particular section. Um, but this is meant to be a weekly study, but we've kind of been covering it monthly, so we're up already to week uh, 22 uh, and thinking about the word Christians. You know, people have probably, if we're being honest, we ask for that a lot, but if we're being honest, people have probably labeled you your whole life. We've all been labeled and wear labels of different categories. Sometimes it's according to our looks, maybe your style of clothing, uh, maybe it's things you did in your past. Of course, we usually talk about things like political persuasion or maybe a group that you were a part of before. Some labels are ones that we're embarrassed to wear, and other labels are ones in which we're proud. Think about people that we call veterans, people who are, are, are a veteran. We're thankful for that. They usually wear that label proudly. There are some other names and titles and labels that people wear, which are not so good. You think about some people strive to have others see them as a particular label, smart or trendy or something like that. Others wish they could get rid of labels like geeky or boring or, or things like that. Maybe uh, somebody who's grouchy or mean. Maybe we're trying to get away from those kinds of labels. But we certainly wear lots of titles or labels sometimes, and that's kind of what we want to talk about when the Bible discusses this idea of the word Christian. Now, it's a very broad word in the United States, culturally, we might say. It's a very broad term even around the world. But what does the Bible have to say? What can it mean for us? And I like this lesson. Uh, Some of the applications that were drawn out in in the material that I I used for this as a basis were really good. I think will challenge us a little bit. And so let's think about a few of these things. Well, of course, we want to talk about the word. And first of all, we notice in the New Testament, the word Christian comes from the Greek, which there's actually a compound word that's there. Christianos uh, is one way that you might say it. And it's a combination of the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one, and then the ending or the Latin suffix there, uh, which indicates the person was a follower or a slave, maybe even a follower of a leader or a slave who belonged to the master. And so we're going to talk about this. I think this is one of the great applications of this lesson. But what do we mean when we say Christian? Well, 
let's not define it right now. Let's give it just a second. But there's probably some names, some people, some activities, some types that come to mind when you think of the word Christian. But we might say, quite literally, this word means a person who follows Christ. Now, I think we understand in general that's what it means, but that's not usually what we think of when we call somebody, hey, are you a Christian? Or I think you're a Christian, or they talk about you. But quite literally, the word means a person who follows or belongs to Christ. And it's probably important um, that we think about, you know, how this name was used in the New Testament. Certainly, when we talk about some words of the Bible, we think about the fact that they're used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But certainly with the coming of Christ and this idea of Christian, we're not going to look at the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, this is the way uh, that it's used. Consider, we've kind of already touched on this for just a moment, but consider how often English speaking and English speakers, we label groups by taking a word that's associated with that group and adding a suffix to the end. So some of those that we see, again, I mentioned like the idea of Republican or even Tennessean or electrician, we might say. Sometimes it deals with proper names. Sometimes it deals with our state or a political or religious group. Sometimes we do it with a philosophy. Uh, and so sometimes it's done in a, in, again, an encouraging way, but sometimes it's done in a negative or a condescending way. You see, we talk about Republicans or Tennesseans or electricians, but we also talk about Lutherans or Calvinists or Presbyterian. And so religiously, sometimes people wear the name of the teachings, who, uh, the teachings of the person they follow. We think about Martin Luther and people who are called Lutherans or even people who agree or follow John Calvin's theology, Calvinists. And so this is something that's common. But what we want to do, especially here in these few moments, is think more about what it's getting at or what exactly we're talking about or, again, if it's positive or it's negative. Now, when we think about the word Bible, we're going to go to the instances just a moment. Give me just a minute to, for us to get there. But when we think about the particular words that are used or the way it's used in the Bible, it seems that it was possibly coined by outsiders. That it seems to be, it wasn't something that Jesus kind of laid his hand out or put his hand on somebody and said, you know what, you shall be called Christians. No, we're going to look at the text in a moment, but it seems like it was termed by outsiders rather than a name that Christians came up with themselves and also I think this is interesting I've heard a lot of people say a lot of preachers say that it was probably a negative moniker and I don't know that that's the case it could have been but it isn't necessarily meant to be a negative moniker that they wore a negative name it could have just been a way for outsiders to differentiate the disciples of Jesus from others one thing that we're going to touch on here today <clears throat> excuse me, and that we always point out when we talk about wearing the name of Christ, one thing that we usually say is, is you should be able to be identified. And we talk about the fact that in the New Testament, it's, we're, we're called to be different, that the church is the ecclesia, it's the called out. We're called out from the world. We should look different. We should talk different and those kinds of things. And so it's possibly that there are people, I mean, even literally roaming around, working around, milling around a city, they're recognizing these people are different. Well, who are they? What are we going to call them? And somebody comes up with the name of Christian. Now, I said we're going to get there in just a moment, and we'll come to the verses. I'm going to have them on the screen, or at least the verses listed for you. But there are three times in the Bible that this particular word or name is used. 
And so it seems like uh, maybe they're negative, or, uh, but certainly it's something that maybe the people who were outsiders, not part of this following, that came up with the, this particular name. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at those three passages here for the next few moments. The first one is Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Now, we know that the book of Acts takes us through the early history, the beginning of the church, and what these people were doing. Even as we have been discussing this on Wednesday night, it's very encouraging to think about what they were going through, to, to consider the actions that they were taking, and even, I think it's pertinent to this discussion, how they were identified. And it's interesting to note that although we use the word Christian constantly today, the word is only found three times in the Bible, and the first time is here in Acts chapter 11. Luke writes about how the persecution of the disciples in Jerusalem causes the disciples to be scattered around to different places. Do you remember, and maybe you can turn back real quick, Acts chapter 8? At the end of Acts, or really all of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching. At the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. And so in Acts chapter 8, with what Saul is doing, the church is scattered. Not only in Acts chapter 8, but also in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. We kind of pick up with the rest of the story, or more of the story. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And what were they doing? Pray tell, what could they be doing that would be encouraging to us? They were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So Luke writes about how they were scattered, and one of the cities where the gospel makes a huge impact is the city of Antioch. Now, these Christians, not called that just yet by the, by the Bible, but these evangelists, we might say, from Cyprus and Cyrene, teach a great number of people about the Lord. In fact, you may recall here from Acts chapter 11, we, we talk about a man named Barnabas down in verse number 25, well, really beginning in verse 22, but the, a great number of people are obeying the gospel, and the church at Jerusalem hears about it and sends Barnabas to do what he does best. And what does he do best? He encourages people. And so after a while, Barnabas travels to Saul's hometown of Tarsus and brings him in to teach and preach in Antioch. And while talking about Antioch, Luke, writing here in, the, in Acts, emphasizes three times a great number. Look at verse 21. The idea that a great number turned to the Lord. Verse 24, great people were added to the Lord. And in verse 26, the verse that we're really wanting to emphasize, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. So think about this. The number is growing. I mean, here's a handful of people maybe. Then here comes Barnabas and here comes Saul. But a great number of people, this, this group is growing and growing. So how are we going to identify them? They're becoming followers of Christ. Think about the fact that it would have been a very exciting time and place in which to be. And in verse 26, we read that for a whole year, <clears throat> they assembled with the church, taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know, we do this sometimes. We, we talk about groups splitting off. You know how our dictionary changes sometimes from year to year. They add new words and, and new designations. Well, it kind of seems like what, that's what takes place here. And again, I've heard preachers say this was negative. Maybe they're accusing them or being mean to them. Maybe, maybe not. But it's certainly a way to identify them. 
The second occurrence is in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, and it's specifically verse 28. But if you go back up before that, you'll recall that this is when the Apostle Paul has been in prison and he's making his defense before King Agrippa in Caesarea. Now, Acts 26 and verse number 3, for, for context, it's important. Acts 26 and verse 3 informs us that Agrippa is familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. So Paul tells him why he has become a follower of Jesus the Christ. Don't miss the context. Don't miss the importance of that. We just studied the book of Philippians. We've talked before about the book of Hebrews. Remember that the main designations of people at this time, of course, are Jew and Gentile. Agrippa is familiar with the customs of the Jews. Now Paul is before him and he's preaching and he's telling him why he is a Christian, a follower of Christ. And so Paul boldly declares, I stand here testifying both to small and great, Acts 26, verse 22, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul pleads with Agrippa here. You're familiar with it. I know I've preached on it at least once here. Paul pleads with Agrippa to accept the truth about Jesus, even pressing him. Do you remember there in verse number 27? He even presses him. He doesn't just kind of leave it hanging. He doesn't just let him think about it. He asks him the direct question. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And of course, it's a song that we commonly sing in verse 28. It wouldn't be so easy to, take, to make a disciple out of the king because Agrippa said, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. Or, the New King James, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Now, I didn't, have, I didn't take the time to look at the different translations, but you may have a translation that either has a period there at the end of verse 28. You may have a translation that has a question mark, because some translations use a question mark. And it's hard to tell. Some people would say, if Agrippa is saying, you've almost persuaded me. Now, that's the way we commonly think of it. And I don't mean to say that's not true. Or, if maybe he's scoffing Paul to Paul and saying, do you really think that you could so easily persuade me to be a Christian? Now, again, we, we have a song. The sermons that usually come out of this text are about he's almost there. And it's possible. But I read this in this study thinking about the fact that man, it's possible that if there's a question there in a sense that he's kind of uh, scoffing and maybe even mocking him a little bit. But Agrippa, familiar with the Jews, at least is aware somewhat, whether through Paul's preaching or what all has gone around Paul, that there's this group of people called Christians. They're followers of Christ. And what does that mean? Well, he knows a little bit, but he's not quite there yet. The final occurrence, if you have your Bible, is 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 16. Really, it kind of goes back up into the first part of the chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter's talking about suffering. My Bible has a non-inspired heading there. We kind of say that sometimes. Suffering for God's glory. That's the heading maybe of this particular section. Verse 14, he talks about if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. 
verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a, and here's our word, Christianos, Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Peter is writing this letter, this epistle, to encourage disciples who are suffering because of their faith in Christ. We ask this sometimes, but have you ever suffered? I would say that I've not a lot. I really haven't because in this country, for a long time, being religious has been accepted. Maybe we don't agree on every single thing. There's always been sin. There's always been sinful people. But certainly we talk about the Bible Belt. We talk about the South. There's also been a time where for a lot of people, they, they claim to follow Christ. So being a Christian is not a bad thing. So we're not really persecuted. Maybe we are some, but he's writing to Christians who are suffering. He's trying to encourage them to stay strong. And he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Once again here, it seems other people, other people outside of this particular group are labeling disciples of Jesus with the name Christian. But Peter tells them not to be ashamed of that at all. But what does he say? Glorify God. You're called a Christian? That should be a good thing. You should be able to glorify God through that. You're persecuted? You're suffering? That should be a good thing. You should glorify God in that. Because that is, that's not what we would make it out to be many times. And that's certainly something that we need to remember. Now, let's make a couple of application points here. And we've already touched on this a moment ago. But I think that today... When we call the name or a person Christian, what we commonly mean is individual salvation. We know that the early disciples were always talking about the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, right? Christ, we've already mentioned that. In other words, they are declaring to anyone who would listen that Jesus is the anointed one, the son of David, the king of kings, the Messiah, and when one and when a group of people uniquely talk so much about one issue, I mean, that's all that's on their lips, it seems, one issue or one person, then people are likely to create a label for that group. You think about, you know, folks who talk about sports, or we talk a lot here about, you know, Alabama football or Tennessee football, and you, you talk about that enough, somebody's going to say, you know what, you, you must be an Alabama fan. You must be a Tennessee fan. Well, yeah, it's what I'm talking about. It's what interests me. These people, Jesus, Jesus the anointed one, the Messiah, is all that they wanted to share. And so they get this name. But, isn't it interesting? When someone talks about being a Christian today, we are usually thinking in terms of individual salvation and forgiveness. Now, I said it this morning in the lesson, but hear me clearly, understand That's not necessarily a negative thing. That is certainly part of it. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. When we talk about, when you ask somebody, are you a Christian? We're typically meaning, have you been saved? Have you been washed by the blood of Christ? Are you a part of the church? Have you been saved individually? That's what we're talking about. Do you wear the name of Christ? But but the challenge that I'd like to lay before you this afternoon, and you can take it home with you tonight, and you can take it into your week. But I think the challenge is, in reality, the name shouldn't deal just with individual salvation, but it should deal with our submission 
to the kingship of Christ. See, when we say, are you a Christian, we a lot of times just mean, have you been baptized? Or, you know, have you been added to the church? And that's certainly part of it. But the early Christians, the early Christians are talking about Christ. They're talking about submitting to him. In fact, uh, Charles and, and I and some of us have talked before through some of these books that we've, we've mentioned that we've read, and one of those was the one we're talking about, Church Reset. I can't remember off the top of my head now if it's used totally in that book or in one particular section, but we come up with this phrase, and we call it cultural Christians or cultural Christianity. You see, that's what most of us want, or most people want. Hopefully not those of you who are gathered here. That's what most people want. Well, I'll come on Easter, or I'll come at Christmas time. Or I'll come on special days, or if there's a, a guest speaker or something's going on, I'll come when it's convenient to me. But I just kind of want to wear the name Christian because, you know, if I'm a Christian, that helps me get some more business because most people in my community are Christians. Or, you know, I'll tell them that I go to this church and I'm, I'm a part of it. And, and they just want to wear the name Christian. And what they're saying is, well, yeah, I, I, I've been saved, maybe. But if we look back at the New Testament, if this is a word study. If we think about the way the word was used, it was used about people who submitted to Jesus, and that's what they talked about constantly. Christians are calling the entire world to bow in obedience and reverence and awe before the Son of God, the King, Jesus the Christ. They wear the name Christian because that's who they are talking about, almost always. There's nothing wrong with talking about football, there's nothing wrong with talking about work or other things, politics sometimes, and things that are going on. But it seems many people today, I almost added this in the slides, this kind, of, this kind of takes it up, but one of the comments that was made in the notes of the book here said, many people today want a savior, but they don't want a king. And I think that sums it up. Many people want a savior, but they don't want a king. And, let's take it a step further, a Christian is someone who allows Jesus to be both his Savior and his King, or her King, right? That's what we're talking about. I think that is what we're getting at in the way that we should act, because if we're going to be followers of Christ, there are certain things that are required. Think about groups that you, excuse me, maybe a part of, or, or not necessarily like a football team or a fan of a football team, but think about people who are part of community groups, whether it be like something like the Lions Club or just something, I mean, just any, any old community group. You want to be a part of it? Many times there's things you got to do, requirements you got to meet. Well, you know, sometimes we like to treat requirements of being a Christian as just this open-ended thing. You know, well, I'll be at services when I can. Or, you know, Jesus never says you got to complete three service projects, right? That's not it. There's no, no requirement, no checklist I got to do. Well, that's true. But what is it? What is required of someone? And I think that's a great way to say it. Submitting to Jesus both as a Savior and as a King. I'm going to go ahead and put this on the screen. This is the last note, hopefully, I think the last one you have in your bulletin there if you're following along and filling it in. But there's a story that was told as an illustration here in the material. And I think it makes the point perfectly. And it goes like this. It is reported that Alexander the Great, going back a ways, it's reported that Alexander the Great singled out one of his soldiers who was accused of cowardice. 
Uh, you think about those guys, sometimes those guys, especially when warfare was a particular way, right? I mean, even our military today, it, it's that tough guy mentality, and if you're going to show a cowardice at all, then we don't want you to be a part of our platoon or our group because we need people who are strong and brave and willing to fight. It's said that Alexander the Great singled out one of his soldiers who is accused of cowardice. What is your name, Alexander the Great snapped. My name is Alexander, sir, came the reply. And Alexander the Great said, well, change your life or change your name. He said they bore the same name. This guy says, my, my name is the same as yours. And, and so Alexander the Great says, well, I ain't having it because that's not the way it's going to be. You either change your life and get in line with wearing the name Alexander, at least as I see fit. You either change your life or you change your name. The point being, of course, is if we are going to wear the name of Christ, by being called Christians, our lives better reflect Christ. If our lives don't, then we need to change our lives or change our name. See, the name Christian has been really muddied, right? It's become something that, you know, they, they do surveys, right? We do the census, and they put out a survey, and they say, well, there's so many Christians in the United States of America or the state of Tennessee or Hamilton County or whatever. That, that's pretty open. Do, our, do we reflect the life of Christ, the name of Christ, or do we need to change our name because we are being pretty much, as Alexander would say in that story, uh, a sorry excuse, right, for someone who's trying to follow after Christ. I wanted to share one final thing with you here. I put it on one slide. If you look at that, it's a little smaller than normal. I usually have two slides. But I thought it was interesting. Sometimes I include this on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, and sometimes I don't in our slides. I certainly always try to on Sunday morning as we think about sometimes that's the more likely opportunity that people are here who aren't Christians, who aren't Christ followers. But I, that's, that, I got to thinking, I thought, how would this lesson, can I just throw that up there again, right? If, if we're saying that wearing the name of Christian is not about, just about individual salvation, then, then why do we do that every time? Well, it's because, as we said a few moments ago, it is about individual salvation. But maybe the better question is, will you become a follower of the anointed one? If that's what the combo word means there, if that's what being a Christianos, a Christian is, a follower, or even remember we began, we said a slave. Now, that's a bad word, especially in our country to use sometimes. But it's certainly a biblical word, is it not? When Paul talks about that we will be a slave, we'll either be a slave to Christ and a slave to God or we'll be a slave to self and a slave to our flesh. Are you or will you be a follower or a slave of the anointed one? And the challenge I think for us this afternoon as we conclude is, will you show it? Will you wear the name proudly and follow after Christ? It does deal with the individual salvation, and we're about to sing this song in a moment that we might encourage you if you need to become a Christian, or more than likely many here are Christians, and the challenge is, are you following about the things that we've talked about? Maybe you need to make a change, either by coming to him or coming back to him and changing your life. We would encourage you to do so, even now as we stand together and as we sing.